Should Oregon football be doing everything that it can to join the Big Ten? Maybe, but maybe not. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks. Please continue to like, comment, subscribe if you haven't already, wherever you listen to or watch this show, which today is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get Started. So all this conference realignment talk, and some of you have been interested in that on Twitter. If you want to hear more and everything that I know and opine about on that front, go check out Locked On Pack 12 and I go a little bit more in depth over there. But I think the Big Ten question is compelling for Oregon. I don't think they have to be there. I I don't. I do not think Oregon has to be in the Big Ten going forward in order to compete at a high level in college football. Yeah, the Pac-12, we'll see what the media deal draws. That should come out, frankly, in the next couple of weeks. It's not a great sign that it's it's taking this long. It means to me there are some negotiations that are still ongoing and the sides are further apart than George Klyovkov would perhaps like them to be, Pac-12 commissioner. But let's see what that deal is first before you definitively say we have to be in the Big Ten. Don't have to be in the Big Ten. Oregon's gotten to two national championship games. They haven't been in the Big Ten or the SEC. They've been in the lowly, terrible, no good, very bad, horrible Pac-12. Or actually, the even worse Pac-10. <laughs> and they got to a national championship game. Twice. They've been on the cusp of the playoffs a couple other times. Yep, you are going to be behind financially in terms of your media rights payouts. Do you know how much money you're actually talking about there? So, yes, the Big Ten is getting tens of millions more dollars. That doesn't all go to football, by the way. For those of you unfamiliar with how funding works in college athletics, when money comes into a program, or in Oregon's case, a program, and it is directed towards or perhaps because of the football team, it does not all just go to football because football pays for all the other sports, including men's basketball, by the way, which I think kind of barely turn a profit, but football is the only actual profitable endeavor in college athletics. So anytime you hear, oh, well, they're getting 30 million more a year or 40 million more a year over there. Well, Football is not getting all of that. Other sports get a decent amount of it. So it cuts into that, first of all. But still, it's many millions of dollars more. But this is Oregon we're talking about. Are we short on wealthy donors? Are we short on a connection to Nike? Are we short on one Phil Knight, which is apparently all you need? Maybe not all you need, but he certainly helps. 
What are the other schools, maybe some more NIL money, going to be able to offer? And again, I think Oregon's collective is in a good place for on, on that front. What are they going to be able to offer over there with all that extra money that Oregon can't provide? Well, they could massively upgrade their facilities. Yeah, Oregon's facilities are notably, notably trash. Yeah, okay. Well, you know, they can... They can pay their coaches more. I think that's the biggest concern. I really do. You could have the best coaches in the country attracted more consistently to the Big Ten or the SEC because they can offer more money because they're bringing more in. Fair point. The grass is damn green in Eugene, is it not? You could make the case that in 15 to 20 years, Oregon could be falling way behind on some fronts because you never know what more change is going to come in the college football landscape between now and then. You know, over time, oh, well, you know, it's, it's going to add up. It's been adding up for a long time. They've been tens of millions of dollars behind the Big Ten and the SEC for a while. Anyone feel like money's the reason we haven't gotten back to the playoff? Does anybody? Does one? I would be interested to know if there's one single person that thinks the University of Oregon is financially behind other schools competing for the playoff, and that's why they haven't gotten there. I personally don't share that opinion. That gap is going to continue to widen for the next several years once these new media rights deals kick in. Okay. So you're exacerbating what was already going on before. It's not a new trend. It's not a new thing. It's just bigger than it was before. And I don't see anything changing on that front. And from a football standpoint, being the best team in, let's say you think the Pac-12 stinks going forward, which I do not share that particular opinion. But let's say you think it does. Let's say even... Let's say it does. They're not going to lose their power five status because USC and UCLA left. They will have a diminished brand as a league for sure. But if Oregon can be, can be one of the top two teams consistently in that league with Washington and Oregon or with Washington and Utah rather over the next five to 10 years, then you can become a Clemson type. The ACC this year stunk. I mean, they they were so bad. We lost our offensive coordinator, still beat North Carolina in the Holiday Bowl. The rest of the ACC, I watched them a good amount this year. Was not impressed. Clemson was a bunch of frauds, and Tennessee exposed them in the Sugar Bowl. But guess what? They've still got that legitimacy. It's still a power five. The ACC is a weak power five. The Big 12 without Oklahoma and Texas is a much weaker power five. But in the 12-team playoff, which I'm not a fan of, but it's coming. Like Deion at Colorado, it's coming. Whether I like it or not, it's going to be there. path to the playoff is pretty clear get through your conference win your conference which is already an attainable goal and objective 
I retain the right to amend this position if there are radical changes where the money not coming into Oregon is a significant hindrance. And the biggest concern would be the SEC and the Big Ten could come and one day offer a coach like Dan Lanning more money and he might be inclined to go. But what is he what does he have at or what does he not have at Oregon right now? He said it best, the grass is damn green in Eugene. Because what are you missing? You've got facilities, you've got commitment, you've got a desire to win, you've got high standards, you've got NIL money, you've got money elsewhere, you can recruit at a high level, you can recruit with the Alabamas and the Georgias and the USC's and the Texas's of the world. Now you just got to go do it on the field. I'm sure this question will come up again. That one has been sitting in the mailbag for a long time from at EYS underscore LGB. He said, compelling argument for Oregon to do everything they can to join the Big Ten. I, I think there's an argument to join the Big Ten. Not, not saying there isn't, but do they need to be dropping everything and putting all the resources there? And if they don't get there, well, then they're just doomed. No, I do not share that particular opinion. More mailback questions are on the way, and they are uh, quite excellent, including one about Oregon's offensive line coach. You can't bet who that is at FanDuel, but you can get everything else you need because FanDuel is the only app you need at your Super Bowl party. We're really excited about our new sports betting partner for Locked On because they're the number one sports book in America. If you're new to FanDuel, that's even better. They have a bunch of great features that make betting on sports fun and easy. Download the FanDuel app now so you can bet Super Bowl 57 with a no sweat first bet. You'll get up to $3,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Best of all, you can get your paid winnings instantly. So, Join FanDuel Day at FanDuel.com slash locked on to claim your no sweat first bet on Super Bowl 57. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. Back into the mailbag we go. I love your questions. YouTube comments, Twitter at smalls underscore 55 or at locked on ducks. I've got a bunch of questions sitting in the mailbag and I'm just going to continue to pull them out as they become relevant for what's going on with the program right now. But tons of questions. I absolutely love it. I remember when I first started hosting this show, and it was not as popular as it is now, which I'm eternally grateful for, by the way. And I said at the time, you know, oh, I'd love to do mailbag segments. I'd love to get your questions. And I remember when there weren't enough people following the show to ask questions. And now I've got more questions sometimes than I can handle at a time. And I'm here for it. And I will always, always get to your questions eventually when you send them in. I've never once been sent a question that I did not respond to here on the show because I appreciate all of you so very, very much. This one from Fred Chambers. Hey, Spence, who do you think might be a good fit from the NFL to come in as an offensive line coach? Somebody like Clem who could elevate themselves with good coaching for the Ducks. So I am most curious, and I actually am going to go all out on a limb here and say the next offensive line coach will not come from the NFL ranks. Not because Adrian Clem didn't do a great job or there isn't crossover appeal. You know, guys can make a recruiting pitch to players and say, I've coached in the NFL. I know what it means to be there. I can help get you there as well. And this, you know, and all the experience that comes with it. But with Clem having been 
a guy who was with Oregon for just one season before the NFL came calling. I think Lanning, the coaching turnover, as I've talked about, is just a part of college sports now more than ever, and it's not going anywhere. I think Lanning is going to look to the college ranks so that he could avoid that again because he does recognize, and I think he fully knows and wants his coaches to take great and, you know, kind of the next step opportunities for them in whatever their their coaching pursuits may be because he's that sort of guy and he said that he wants to be that sort of guy and I believe he's genuine on that front most coaches are he doesn't want to be replacing that particular position group every single year you don't want to replace coordinators every single year you recognize you're going to lose assistant coaches from time to time but 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 I think he's going to look to the college ranks because it's a lot easier to keep an assistant coach at Oregon, even though they've lost a couple, who's an offensive line coach when the competition, quote unquote, for that particular candidate is another school compared to the NFL, which can offer a lot more money because there's way more money for an NFL franchise than at any school in the country. And of course, they're very different as well. So I wonder if it just kind of, you know, kind of wards him off a, a little bit from going back into the NFL waters. And I think the next coach for for Oregon's offensive line is going to come from uh, the college ranks. And he'll have a lot of really talented players to work with, by the way, thanks to Adrian Clem. Speaking of assistant coaches, by the way, Demetrius Martin, defensive backs coach, named the Pac-12 Assistant Recruiter of the Year. Actually, I don't even know if assistant was in there. 24-7 Sports gives out their... Uh, there, the, these kind of rankings and awards and whatnot. Demetrius Martin, recruiter of the year. Ooh, that's not bad. And then they released a list of their top 25. Shout out to Peyton for pointing this out to me. Their top 25 recruiters in the country. Demetrius Martin, Tosh Lupoy, both right there. Two of the 25 best assistant coach recruiters in the country on this staff. Not an accident. Those guys are there for a reason. And they've also done a really good job on the recruiting front too. You look at the defensive line, bunch of blue chippers for Tosh Lupo and company. You look at the defensive backs, you lose Caleb Presley, you flip Dalen Austin. You also bring in Demetrius Martin's son, Cole, who's a four-star player himself, Jaleel Florence, Jaleel Tucker, like just you just keep going down the list, the DBs they've added in the portal. I think they've done a really good job. I wasn't expecting that per se, but you know what? It's a nice honor for Coach Martin. So props to uh, Demetrius Martin there, the 24-7 Pac-12 recruiter of the year. Next question, Ken Stewart at Locked On Ducks. Do you think Lanning has two edge type players always on the field, one at an outside linebacker, but always in quarterback pursuit? I think he's got the personnel to do that now more than he did. When you add Jordan Birch, you bring in Mateo and you have Mace Funa, I think you're much more versatile and a little bit deeper at that position. They could still do with a player who pops, you know, whether he's a pass recruit or an incoming true freshman. Maybe they add another transfer in the spring. I think they could still make do with adding somebody else to to that rotation just so you could have you know two consistent edge players on either side but I, I think right now your top three are probably Jordan Birch, Mace Funa, Mateo Uyunglele 
hard to know who the, who the next one could be. Could someone like a Tatum Tuioti or a Blake Purchase or Ashton Porter's more on the interior of the defensive line? Could, could somebody like that pop? Yeah, in theory. But the question he's asking is, will you have two at one time? And I, I'm not sure the answer to this question in terms of the personnel, because they still have to do some evaluation of all these guys, right? And figure out what they can do at any point in time. I think Lanning would like to. One thing that it has, is a hallmark of a Dan Lanning defense, and we saw this last year, the way that they blitz players often require that edge guy to drop into coverage so that you shift the offensive line one way and then you wrap a blitzing linebacker or safety around on the other side. Like on that, uh, I think it was in the Utah game, Bennett Williams' second interception is a great example of what I'm talking about. They dropped Mace Funa into coverage from the edge spot. They wrapped Noah Sewell around as a blitzer. He had a free run at Cam Rising, and then that forced him to make an early telegraph throw and Bennett Williams made a great play and picked him off. I think being able to do that with either player gives you an added element of versatility that not every edge player Oregon's had over the last couple of years has provided. So Dorless has lined up a defensive end before. He is not a guy who can drop into coverage. He's way too big. He's closer to a defensive tackle and a defensive end. DJ Johnson. Did a lot of good things, was Oregon's best pass rusher a year ago, a little inconsistent, but had some really, really impressive moments, but not somebody who was really good in coverage or out in space, right? So when you're when you're setting your defense and you're getting the defensive play call in and the OC is trying to figure out which guy could maybe back out and drop into coverage if he's standing up on the edge of the defensive line, if you only have one guy that can do that, it makes that a little bit more predictable and easy to account for. But if you had Mateo on one side and Funa on the other, and I think Birch can do it a little bit as well, and Kayvon Thibodeau dropped into coverage pretty regularly, I don't think that is an option Dan Lanning and Tosh Lupoy would say, no, we don't want to explore that at all. I think they have to watch spring practice first. I, I think they have to look, and the second part of your question here, can one at, out, one at an outside linebacker, but maybe always in a, a quarterback pursuit. I don't think you'll see them drop to being one of the linebackers at the second level, right? Like Mace Funa or... Jordan Birch, certainly, or Mateo. Like, they're not going to line up at the second level. They're always going to line up on the line of scrimmage. Funa would be the biggest candidate for that, but I don't, th- that's, that's not something that I, I think is really going to take place. But I think schematically, that's something that represents a good amount of intrigue. But the biggest thing, right? Th- those are kind of a select few moments in the game. The biggest thing you need from your edge players. is an ability to rush the passer effectively in more than one way. Whoever Oregon puts out, I mean, Birch is going to be one. Mateo and Mace Funo will probably split playing time with the other. It'd be my best guess right now. You need him to be able to get after the quarterback, make plays in the run game every now and then, but that's really more for defensive tackles and linebackers. You also need him to be able to rush, and Oregon did this horrendously 
a year ago. You got to be able to rush with discipline. You got to be able to collapse the pocket and keep the quarterback there or he just runs out the back door. Caleb Williams will do that. Cam Ward will do that. Jaden Delora can do that. Like there are a lot of quarterbacks in this league that do that. And Oregon did not do that very effectively a, a year ago. But that's a very interesting schematical question. I always enjoy going into that sort of stuff. And I also enjoy when Oregon basketball plays to their potential. It's a really nice thing to see. Now, entering Thursday, Oregon was a first four out. That is an upgrade. Lenardi had them going into that game as a team that was raising their stock after a win against Arizona State on the road. Because before the ASU game, they were not even in the next four out where they had been prior. Now they're in the first four out. And then they beat USC on Thursday, and they beat them soundly. Now, the Trojans were missing a couple players, which I'll talk about in a moment. But USC, according to Joe Lenardi going into this week, was one of the last four buys. Meaning that's a tournament-caliber team and probably a quad one win, at the very least quad two. That was a big win for the Ducks. They played well start to finish. They led basically the entire game. They got in front. They had a lot of different guys contribute. Will Richardson had a good game. Dante had a good game. Kuznard, Bartholomew, Gary. like They played quite well. But USC was without two of its most notable players. Not the two best players per se. Boogie Ellis was there. Drew Peterson was there. But they were missing a couple guys, so they were not at full strength. A feeling Oregon knows quite well, unfortunately. But as this episode comes out in the wee hours of Saturday morning, they play UCLA later today. And though the USC game was really encouraging, I mean really encouraging, because against a good team missing a couple pieces, that's how you would like them to look. And it was balanced. It was good defensive effort. They scored well. It was a really good showing. The UCLA game is going to be a better barometer for just how well they're playing right now. Because the last couple of games, ASU and USC, those are good wins. They're really good wins. If they beat UCLA, their resume would get a big boost. They played them tight when they were not at full strength down in Los Angeles at Poly way, way long ago, a couple months ago, I think it was, early in the season. They don't have to have this game against UCLA. They don't have to. But man, it would be nice. It would be really, really nice. But if they lose close, I will be encouraged. If they get blown out, I will be discouraged. If they win, we could be looking at another one of those Dane Allman late season surges. But there's still a lot of games left, and they've got to avoid a number of letdowns afterwards. With regards to the UCLA game, curious to see how it all goes. I'll be watching. Hope you will as well. Keep the questions coming. I will always get to them here on the show. Appreciate everyone listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day and go Ducks.